0: Hello and welcome to our podcast interview series as part of our spotlight focus on cell and gene therapy products. We are delighted to be joined by Kathy Rentus of PPD, a Thermo Fisher company. Kathy is a senior research scientist at PPD. Kathy leads a team in the development, transfer, and validation of immunoassay PK and ADA methods for protein and oligonucleotide therapeutics and cell and gene therapies. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kathy. It's great to be here today, Vivian. Join you to talk about cell and gene therapy. So my first question for you is, what are some of the types of bioanalytical assays important for gene therapy products?
1: So this is really going to depend a lot on the modality that you're focusing on. So if you look at cell and gene therapy broadly, obviously, there's going to be different types of assays for cell therapies like CAR-T. My area of focus is more on the gene therapy side. But again, there's still going to be variation. Are we looking at a nucleic acid therapeutic? Are we looking at a uh, replacement for someone who has a genetic disease and basically replacing the enzyme, um, delivering a copy of that gene so they can now produce that enzyme. So it's gonna really depend on that, just kind of that start with what modalities are you using? What is the um, treatment goal there? And then kind of going, coming down from there, You know, there'll be different categories, right? So there'll be some applications where Uh, Cellular based assays, flow cytometry, really important. Certainly, there's going to be an important role for molecular techniques, um, you know, next generation sequencing, graphical digital PCR. And then what I focus a lot on is more on the side of immunoassays and also enzymatic assays. And so, especially for rare genetic diseases, like I mentioned, I'll go into that in a little bit. Um, So, for example, if we have a rare genetic disease and we need to replace um, a gene that is missing or has a key mutation, we might want to quantitate the product of a transgene that gets delivered by this gene therapy. So that might be you know, just the level of, pro- of that protein that's made, but it could also be the enzymatic activity that protein is made. Um, we might even be looking at different prote- protein isoforms. And so each of these is going to involve different types of techniques. So we might be looking at ELISA or um, MSD-based technologies to look at um, the immunoassays. We might be looking at enzymatic assays to measure the activity of the proteins that are made. We might even be using techniques like Western blotting and aligned devices to measure different types of protein isoforms. So those are some of the examples. And then of course, you know, there's gonna also be the importance of looking at cellular or humoral immune responses. So we do a lot of work with ADA-based methods to look for antibodies against the transgene product, as well as against the delivery mechanisms, um, which I'll get to in a second. So, So that's a whole other set of methods that is important. You may also have some immunoassays to look at biomarkers, right? So in addition to the transgene, there might be other key biomarkers that need to be looked at. Um, And this is not an area of my own focus, but certainly lots of mass spectrometry-based assays to maybe look at uh, analytes that are present, look at changes in metabolism. Then kind of coming back to what I mentioned before about delivery mechanisms, for a lot of the gene therapies, you're gonna need to be delivering them into the body with uh, modalities like nanoparticles or AAVs and other viruses. So there's a whole suite of assays that would be needed there to look at you know, antibody responses to these, um, you know, looking at the levels of these. So, so there's really quite a number of components. And as I said, everyone kind of focuses on different areas, um, but all of those would come together for the big package to look at um, the understanding of your,
0: your treatment modality. And what are some of the key questions regarding the design of quantitative assays for gene therapy?
1: Yeah, so if I think about quantitative assays, again, it could be a range of different types. I mentioned a few things there in terms of, I focus a lot on transgenes. So again, measuring the levels or the activity of a transgene could be enzymatic, could be otherwise, and also some of those quantitative biomarker assays. So there's a variety of things to think about. Um, For some of the assays like enzymatic assays, robustness may be a challenge because they're very sensitive to different changes in environmental conditions or if you need to cross validate across labs. You also need to think about the types of matrices that you're going to be collecting right so in some cases you may need to collect more challenging matrices like cerebrospinal fluid or you need to think about tissue uh, sampling for even in human cases and so if those are the appropriate uh, samples that you're going to get there's going to add new complexities in terms of your design because you're going to think a lot about those pre-analytical variables so i think that's one message i would say for Lot of the gene therapy, bioanalysis, there's quite a few bioanalytical or pre-analytical variables that you need to think about, right? So that's not, of course, that's true about all different types of bioanalysis, but particularly in some of these gene therapy applications where you might need to think about the tissue sampling approach or the samples might be very sensitive, right? So if you have an en- enzyme that's very heat sensitive or very sensitive to, uh, you know, environmental exposure, you're going to really need to think about your pre-analytical collection before you even get into the bioanalysis part. I think another challenge is you know thinking about life cycle maintenance and stability. So a lot of gene therapy you know, you'd know, you be thinking about clinical trials in a longer time frame right because you're going to need to make sure that not just that you see changes and improvements at first but there's a duration of the changes over multiple years. So that's going to put additional pressure on the assays in terms of being robust over time, um, you know being able to bridge different batches of reagents over time and just overall testing of stability of the different components in the assay. So I would say those are some of the main things, you know, some of the maintenance and stability, robustness. Then, of course, there's going to be particular design challenges, just like with any assay. Um, A lot of the immunoassays, you know, for example, ADA development for cell and gene therapy, there's going to be similarities to other types of um, ADA assays, but I think there's also some unique elements. So, for example, some of the delivery mechanisms like AAVs folks often will have pre-existing antibodies to those AAVs. And so when you're trying to understand if people are developing antibodies to that delivery mechanism, you're really gonna need to think about how can you detect the development of those when you have a population where people already often have some of those antibodies present. So again, they're using some of the same techniques and things to think about for other types of pharmacokinetic or ADA assays, but with some other interesting wrinkles
0: so how does the unique nature of gene therapies um specifically when we think about the nature of the reference material how does it impact development and long-term maintenance of assays especially enzymatic
1: yeah so as i was saying you know the long-term maintenance over these longer term clinical trials can be can be a challenge and i think one thing that's interesting to think about with some of the gene therapies is what is your reference material right so if you're doing you know an antibody-based therapeutic you have The drug batch, it's well-characterized. There's a stability program to basically confirm that it's stable over time, and you're using that as your reference material to compare all your patient samples against. But if you're doing something like introducing a transgene, it's being expressed, there's a new new enzyme being expressed in the tissues or in different fluids in the body. Uh, So the question is, what is your reference material? What should that be? Um, You might be able to obtain commercial reference material, but then you have the challenge of verifying performance across batches, and also doing additional stability testing. So certainly those challenges are surmountable, but you have to really think ahead in terms of those those reference materials. And then the other thing that comes up a lot um, with things like enzymatic assays and also looking at biomarker assays is you're often gonna need to look at endogenous material. So you might be able to buy, for example, the recombinant enzyme or recombinant protein from a company or produce it yourself by protein purification. But its performance and its sensitivity to assay conditions, and things like that, may be different than the endogenous protein. So we're often using human matrices like serum or plasma as a source of that endogenous material, and we can assess its performance. But you need to think about that. Again, how are its properties different? And then if, let's say, you have a batch of serum you're using as this is a source of my endogenous reference material, if you switch to another lot of material, we don't know the theoretical concentration of that protein. So we need to establish that. We need to determine the best way to switch between these batches. So I think a lot of those issues, you know, those are consistent with standard techniques that are used in biomarker programs. But still, you know, if you bring in the additional complexities of things like enzymatic assays that are more sensitive to those environmental conditions, that further adds to the challenge, I think, of bridging over time. And then I also referenced before, you know, this is just general importance of stability. You might be measuring stability for different types of analytes and reference materials, uh, especially for enzyme programs. You might be looking at stability of the enzyme itself, but also the stability of other key components, including uh, reference fluorescent material that's used for reference curves. So you have to think about the stability of all these aspects across this course of your study. And again, it might be over a long period of time. Um, so again, all of those things I feel like they're surmountable, but just adds to the complexity, and it requires some additional planning in advance to kind of think about how you know what types of these elements need to be considered for your particular program, and what the best ways uh, to do that are, because it may not always be straightforward.
0: What are some of the key considerations inherent to the development of assays to assess you know levels of analytes and tissues? Yeah, and so the
1: tissue question, I think is an interesting and important one because for you know gene therapies, you might need to check that, okay, if you, you know, introduce a transgene into the muscle or into other regions of the body, you need to make sure that that is being expressed and that, that there's maybe a new activity in that sample. Uh, so certainly for animal studies, it's gonna be less complex to obtain that sample. But I mean, the first step is with you know the human samples, you're gonna be limited into the terms of types of samples you can get with different types of biopsies. Um, and so that's the first thing, try to think about what are the t- t- tissues that be most accessible to sample and also can you get enough of those tissues right? So if you need to repeat an assay or things like that, are you going to have enough of that material? And then I think you have to think about, um, and again, some of these are not inherent only to gene therapy but just to you know analysis and tissues in general is you have to process those tissues. So you know at our site we'll do we'll frequently work on homogenization so that's another element to optimize is you know, making sure we're optimizing homogenization, but also if we have sensitive proteins, such as, you know, different enzymes that might be sensitive to heat or being exposed to the air, we have to incorporate that into our testing because we want to make sure that we're not inactivating that during the processing step. So that adds in an extra wrinkle there. So figuring out, you know, the best, best means of processing so that you're consistently recovering similar amounts of that protein or analyte per tissue, but also not destroying it during the process. And then so you see you we need to test you know, consistency of recovery, especially if you have a tissue that's difficult to homogenize. Um, some will be easier than others. And then you have this homogenized matrix. And you sort of have to think about the stability of the analytes in that. Right. So uh, if you have a stored tissue versus homogenized matrix, we can do we can do stability testing over time um, on analyte that's spiked into or Um, in endogenous material that's in a homogenized matrix, but of course, that's not necessarily going to match what you see in stored tissue. So there's some discussions in the field um, kind of around that. And also thinking about the right storage duration for these tissues. Again, if you have long studies, it may be helpful to combine analysis in a batch, but also then that might require storage and how is that going to impact your study? So those are some considerations. And then another one that I think is, is pretty interesting is you know, if you think about an analyte, is it evenly distributed across the tissue? And if you take a sample, what if you have different relative concentrations, for example, of what percent of fat versus other types of tissue are present? And so, you know, this is an area that probably more in the clinical realm than my bio- bioanalytical realm, but it is something that I think is important to think about is, you know, how much variation would you see? I mean, generally for a you know, human sample, we're not going to have that ability to, to test, but I think you could do some testing, for example, animal samples, kind of see how consistent different homogenizations would be, you know, as part of a development of, of the assay. So I think there's some questions there in terms of what's the extent of testing that's needed to make sure uh, that, you know, your assay is robust, and, and all of it kind of probably comes down to What's the the context for use of your assay, right? So what types of changes, this is a big thing in the biomarker field, what types of changes are you expecting? Are you expecting to see very large increases in the biomarker? Are you expecting to see very large increases in the expression of the transgene? If so, more variation may be scientifically justifiable. Whereas if you're expecting or need to be able to see small differences, then that's gonna be uh, much more challenging. Um, and then also just thinking about other inhibitors that might be present in the tissues and how, you know, what would be proper to dilute it. And then when you go to validate the assays, of course, you have to think about what are the correct parameters, you know, how um, how stringent should the precision of the assay be. Again, coming, coming back to that context of use question. So, um, you know, what types of precision is going to be enough for you to be able to reliably uh, say that you have a specific difference that's present. And some of that would come into discussions with biostatisticians to figure out know, what really is needed for that application.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, Kathy, and for sharing your knowledge and insights on this topic of bioanalytical assays for gene therapies. And to our listeners, you can find more features for our spotlight on cell and gene therapy products at Bioanalysis Zone. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening.